Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we talk to writers about writing and um, a host of other things through a series of five questions. Um, a lot of times it's more than five questions, but we have five official questions for each show. So that's how we, that's how we do things around here. Um, I'm very excited to have my guest today, Lynn Steven Johansson. Now you say Johansson, right? Not, is it, or is it Johansson? My Johansson. family's besides the name, so it's Johansson. Johansson, got it. And it's Lynn Steven Johansson. So that's right. a, it's just a very cool name that flows off the just tongue. Just call me Lynn. I'm casual, so. <laughs> Lynn is good. We'll go, we'll go with Lynn. So Mr. Johansson has made a habit of reinventing himself over the years. He's been a teacher, a professor, a director, a playwright, and now a novelist. Um, he sees himself as continually evolving, both personally and professionally. Well, that is very healthy. That's good. That's good. Uh, that's a good bio lead off. Um, Lynn's mother wrote occasional articles for area newspapers, as well as a column for the local paper during World War II. His sister is also a writer. So writing appears to run in the family and be a family trait. So that's very cool. Do you guys get like competitive with each other about the writing? No, actually, she writes medical stuff. So she has a medical publishing company, which she recently sold. So we write totally different things. Well, that's good. So you can like, there's no sibling rivalry support each other and still, you know, but, but have healthy competition. Like how many words did you write today? But you're not trying to get, the same, <laughs> you know, not trying to get the same mystery award or whatever. But we both enjoy researching. You know, she does a lot of research for what she does. I do a lot of research when I write a book because I'm a nut about getting things accurate. Yes, I've noticed that as your as one of your editors, I have noticed that you're very accurate. But that kind of goes along with, you know, you have people in your family that, you know, are journalism and medical that you guys are facts, facts, right. fact people, it seems like. Um, so I'll finish your bio. <laughs> you can see <laughs> I like to ask questions as I go. Sure. Rose's, Rose's Thorn, Lynn's mystery novel, is based on a screenplay he wrote um, new, many years ago. Taking his wife's suggestion, he fleshed it out into um, a novel. Um, the main character's name, Joe Erickson, was one of the name of Lynn's maternal grandfather, who died eight years before you were born. Um, Lynn featured Marathon, Iowa in Rose's Thorn, and again in Havana Brown, which is the second book, because he wanted to pay homage to his hometown. What hometown? Marathon, Iowa is where you're from? Marathon, Iowa is my hometown. Little wow. town in Northwest Iowa. How did it get the name Marathon? Do you know? The daughter of the Northwestern Railroad named the town. Oh. Uh, that was about 1883, if I remember correct. And she gave the street names, names of uh, Roman and Greek names like Neptune Street, Attica Street, and things like that. So it was the daughter of the president of the railroad that uh, had a lot to do with that. Wow, that's cool. That's good. Or that's a cool story. She was um, probably not spoiled at all. Just kidding. <laughs> Daddy's little girl. So, well, and I don't know very many people from um, Idaho. Iowa, sorry. I don't know people from Iowa or Idaho. So <laughs> the two <laughs> So that would follow. I've been on the East Coast my whole life and I, I sort of lose, I kind of like people in the middle of the country. I, I, I get confused about where states are, but um. Well, there's the East Coast and the West Coast and America in between. That's correct. That is mm -hmm. how it works. Yeah. And I'm from Indiana. I'm from also an I state. I'm from Indiana originally. Oh, yeah. And my entire family is from Indiana. And um, my mom just got tired of being cold. So she moved <laughs> to 
yeah, that was, yeah. that was nice. So we moved to South Florida and that's where I grew up because of the weather. And she just was saying, you know, in Indiana, especially the sky is gray for like six months out of the year. <laughs> She's just mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. Um, you know, my daughter lives in Miami. So uh, yeah, she's enjoying the warmth too. Oh yeah. It's the, they could not get further different from Indiana to Florida or I, I'm assuming Iowa too. But um, yeah, it was a interesting change that she made in our lives because of being tired of being cold. That was it. But yes. my, my great grandparents and my great, great grandparents and my, you know, all the way back were from Indiana, Michigan, and they came over from, um, Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow. And that, that was my, my family came on the Mayflower. So that's how that w- wow. worked out. Yeah. And then we, for some reason, found ourselves in Fort Lauderdale, but good. So we're both from I States. That's cool. We have that in common. Mm-hmm. We're both writers. So see, right. we're finding, finding a lot of common ground, although we couldn't be any different, any more different. <laughs> so the first question I'm going to ask for you, first official question. How do you develop the voices of your characters? Do you keep a Bible or use some other methods to bring your characters to life? I see my characters. I visualize them first. You know, I have a nucleus of four characters that appear in my novels. uh, And then the rest of them uh, I develop as I uh, develop the the outline and, and then start writing. But, you know, when I have a character that, that comes up when I write, I see them. And I usually do a, a basic description of them when I'm writing. And I see them. Now, I don't visualize them to the point where I put an actor, a known actor, uh, as an image. But I do visualize them in, in kind of a generic way. And then a voice comes out. For instance, in Havana Brown, I have uh, an English lady who is a cat show judge. And I don't know why I decided to make her English. I mean, I'm very familiar with dog show judges because my wife shows dogs. And uh, I just decided to make her English. Well, I've watched enough masterpiece mysteries that I hear English voices all the time. So, I gave her an, I gave her an image, tall, blonde, and she's very sophisticated. So this English voice came out, and it's a sophisticated English voice. So that's how I heard her, and that's how I wrote her, and it was very easy, you know, writing her, writing her dialogue, because her voice was just in my head. So that's kind of how I approach the characters. You know, I first I see them, and then there's there's a voice that just comes out. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Uh, it's just kind of writer magic, I suppose. I think other writers probably do that too. I I don't really write a biography for them or anything like that. Um, you know, I have a name file because you know when you write so many character names, you know, I, they jump out of my head every once in a while when I need to refer to them. So I go back to my name file and make sure, you know, I've got the name, but uh, that's really all I do. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. And well, that's just interesting how the creative mind 
works for writers because you, you basically when you're little they call those imaginary friends you know yeah they're, yeah they're basically the people you make up in your head that aren't really a real person they're your person and um that's you know i think all of a lot of writers i know had imaginary friends growing up back before there was constant distraction with internet and things you had to make up stuff in your head to entertain yourself when you were little you know couldn't look at it mother told me i had an imaginary friend i don't remember having an imaginary friend but as a little kid growing up on a farm you know you're isolated and i have my sister's four years younger than me but my mother told me i had an imaginary friend when i was uh very small and i suppose that's just the way of you know dealing with uh you know maybe not loneliness but just being isolated yeah and you have you're telling yourself stories basically is that you know you're just having someone to bounce it off with that you've created and it's you know there's right. nothing weird about it they used to make fun you know people used to think you were weird but i think it's just <laughs> that's going to eventually be a creative person that did that you know but um yeah too. I, I mean, a lot of people talk to themselves, but you know, I, I do talk to myself. Usually, I'm, it's chastising myself for doing something stupid, but you know, I do talk to myself. Oh yeah, I do too. I'm telling myself, calm down. It's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna yeah. be fine you know, eventually. Yeah, Lynn, you idiot. Why should you do that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't like I don't like bad self talk. That's a, that's the one thing I've always yeah. said to all my friends. Don't say that because you know you don't want it to come true. Nobody is you know you're your own worst critic. And you don't need yeah. any more of those, trust me, when you're writing and stuff. Now, I used to be a perfectionist. And then I, when I finally figured out that perfection is something that can't be attained, I, I stopped, you know, yeah. because yeah. you don't need that kind of pressure. You know, you drive yourself crazy. So, you know, I learned not to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a killer. Perfectionism is a killer. It's really mm -hmm. hard to attain. And even if you attain it, it's very fleeting. You yeah. know, uh, my sister's a bodybuilder. So she, you get to the certain, you know, level of, excellence and then it's like but you got to eat eventually <laughs> it's hard to keep that going forever you know um but it's fun to, those peak moments are very fun in writing and then working out and whatever you do so but yeah i don't think like you really want to picture an actor when you're creating a character in your mind because you don't want to like your character can't be matthew mcconaughey because matthew mcconaughey is matthew mcconaughey and then you start thinking like matthew mcconaughey you know it's gotta be right. person, like you said it's gotta be an original person that you thought of I just pulled his name out because I read an article about him this morning. Um, so what is the most difficult part of the creating writing process for you and what is the easiest? Oh, the most difficult is creating the story before I actually start writing. It takes me a long time to create the outline of the story. And what I do is I use Sid Field's screenwriting paradigm to create the, the outline. Mm -hmm. And that paradigm creates plot points. And the plot points are really important things that happen in the story. And then you have events that occur in between those plot points. And I map all that out before I ever sit down and start writing the first chapter. Mm -hmm. And that is the hardest thing for me because I have to have that story mapped out as so I know what to write toward. Mm -hmm. And this latest one that I started writing, I'm just 30 pages into the fourth novel right now, 
And this one was hard for some reason, a lot harder than the other ones. Havana Brown was hard too. I'll probably get into that in a few minutes, but uh, uh, Havana Brown was hard because uh, of other reasons, but mapping it out is the, is the hard part. You know, the actual writing, the easiest part for me is writing dialogue. And I guess that comes from me being a playwright because when you write plays, everything's dialogue. Mm -hmm. And you don't write what actors do unless it's really important. Uh, actors and directors write, figure out what the characters do. Playwrights just write what they say and maybe indicate something really important that they do, you know, if, if it's crucial to the story. You know, you don't write, oh, he goes downstage and picks up a bottle and pours himself a drink. You don't write that unless he's going to throw that drink in someone's face, you know, two lines later. Mm -hmm. So you're just really concerned with writing what people say. Yeah, I noticed that when I read your first book, when it came to me um, after your initial round of edits and I'm like this you could tell like I could tell it was this was a playwright and I had seen your bio and I'm like yeah this is this is how I would envision a playwright writing you know because it's it was very dialogue forward mm -hmm. and, um, and that's but you also I've always I've taught classes and things about character development and I think dialogue is a really great tool to, to give your uh, characters dimension because not everyone speaks the same you know we all have different inflections and we've we're from different parts of this if you're writing americans we're all no one talks the same even in the state of maryland like people from baltimore sound different than people from where i live in frederick and new, new oh, york sure. the different boroughs and things i lived in new york but you know there is no one there's no one diet you know way of speaking in any anywhere you know so it's i think it's really cool to be able to use dialogue to sort of highlight well maybe this person you know, took care of themselves when they were growing up and didn't have a mom around the, the word choices that they, you know, choose to use and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. narration is somewhat new to me when, you know, I started writing the novel. Um, it didn't come natural to me at first. It's better now uh, mm -hmm. than, it, than it was previously. But, you know, I'm a little thin on narration. I don't write a lot of narration. I, I noticed that Jonathan Kellerman doesn't write a lot of narration either. And, you know, other novelists, uh, you know, like Ann Perry writes a ton of narration. I like her a lot. I read her books quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it's just the difference between writers. Yeah, for sure. And each whatever we're doing writing, it strengthens the next uh, pursuit that we try. And right. it's just, you know, you like you've got you don't have to work on getting dialogue down because you've got that skill. So, you know, everyone comes to it differently. So that's that is very cool. So what comes first for you, the plot or the characters? Oh, the plot. Definitely the plot. You know, I've got those those four characters that are reoccurring. Uh, but, you know, when I'm hammering out the plot, the characters develop out of the plot. And as I'm writing, you know, I know that after I've hammered out the plot, there, there are certain characters that develop because of the plot. But a lot of times when I'm writing, other characters appear uh, because of what I'm writing. And sometimes, you know, some wonderful characters come out. Uh, in Havana Brown, uh, there, there's a very fun moment when Joe Erickson, my main character 
calls the Humane Society and a girl answers the phone and he wants to be put in touch with someone that knows something about cats. And it's, it's a very fun uh, little discussion on the phone that he has with this character. And that just kind of came out of nowhere. And I like to have humor in my in my books, despite the fact that <laughs> murder mysteries are grim sometimes. But you know, I'm always looking to put humor in somewhere, and that, that's a nice humorous moment. Uh, and there are other humorous things that I like to, you know, I'm always looking for opposites. You know, if you got something grim, look for the humor. You know, even if it's black humor, look for the humor. So that's yeah. that's something that came out of nowhere, and I kind of like that phone conversation you had with that girl that answered the phone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's sort of, you know, is good to fold things like that in because it is like real life. Like you could be having the worst day and then call somewhere and somebody makes you laugh because, you know, the way they handle whatever you're asking them to do or something like that. So okay. it's good that you, no day is totally bleak and no day is totally wonderful. It's just, you know, there's those little moments that are sprinkled into all of our days, you know. <laughs> I've written plays that are comedies and I've written plays that are dramas and I've written plays that are, I suppose you would call dramedy because they're both and you can't really say that it's one or the other mm -hmm. uh, and you know there's plays my most produced play is uh, a play called the crucifixion of mo and ira and it's a comedy about two men being crucified on a cross and it doesn't sound like a comedy but it's hilarious <laughs> yeah. so it's been produced a, really a lot yeah and you know it's a short 10 minute play uh, another one of mine that has been produced quite a bit is uh, a play in the, with two characters, a dog and a cat, and uh, that one's been produced quite a bit. It's very funny, and there are times when I can be very funny with my writing. There's times that I can be very dramatic with my writing, so, you know, I can have fun when I want to, and other times, you know, I can write pretty dramatic stuff, so. It, yeah nice to be able to bounce back and forth between the two and you know if you if you have a moment that you know a humorous line pops up yeah i'll use it yeah yeah that's what they call it they call range you have good range and it's like in, yeah. act, in the acting world you can do a comedy and i always admire those actors that can do a comedy and then turn around and make you cry oh yeah they've yeah. got it so yeah that's great yeah because you you do you write some pretty heavy stuff but there are moments of levity in there in, in the novels so um, how did you arrive at the premise of your series? And tell us a little bit about the series. Well, the series is about a detective named Joe Erickson, a Chicago detective. He's from small town, Iowa, my hometown, Marathon, not, Iowa. Not Idaho, Iowa, yes. Iowa, <laughs> Iowa. the Hawkeye State. Gotcha. And he, uh, he went to, a college in Illinois, majored in law enforcement, went to Chicago, became a, a cop, and he became noticed because of his insight and his ability to solve things. And he made detective at a fairly early age. And he was assigned to the Area 3 uh, Detective uh, Bureau. And he became one of their he, he became one of their best detectives. Had the, has the best solve rate of any detective at uh, Area Three. And 
in Havana Brown, which is a prequel to Rose's Thorn, uh, we just trace uh, him as he tracks down a serial killer. Now, how this came about is Rose's Thorn was the first book. It was based on a screenplay that I wrote about oh, 10, 12 years ago. And I wrote a couple screenplays. Uh, they never went anywhere because I figured if you don't live in California and Los Angeles and schmooze with the right people, it's never gonna get sold or get made into a film. And it just sat languishing in my database. And one day my wife said, why don't you turn one of your screenplays into a novel? And I kind of scoffed at the idea and said, I can't write anything that long. Well, about five years later, I kind of dried up on ideas for a new play. And I went back to the best of what I thought was two screenplays and looked at it and thought, mm. okay, I'll, I'll try. So I took the first scene of the, of the screenplay and it became chapter one of Rose's Thorn. And I handed the rough draft of chapter one to my wife, who's a voracious reader of books. She reads a novel a week, a lot of them mysteries. And I said, what do you think? And she said, well, I've read worse. <laughs> so with that bit of encouragement, uh, I started uh, adapting the screenplay into uh, a novel. And 36 chapters later, I had the rough draft of Rose's Thorn. Well, Joyce, my wife, being an English teacher and a specialist in composition, became my editor, a de facto editor, because I would hand her a chapter and she would go through it and kind of fix some of my phrasing and my punctuation. Uh, and then I would rewrite it. And then for a year after it was done, I tried to secure an agent. Well, that was kind of hopeless. And I just gave up on that. And then I started approaching publishing companies. I, I sent out letters to three. And luckily for me, Level Best Books asked for the whole thing. And not too long after that, they sent me a contract for three books. Yeah. So that has played very well with me. I'm very pleased being a member of the Level Best Book family. And uh, I found that, you know, it's a very good publishing company to work with. And, you know, I look forward to continuing, you know, my work with uh, being a, an author uh, represented by Level Best Books. So uh, that's kind of how that first book came about, uh, kind of in a roundabout way. And, uh, now I'm really concentrating on novels rather than plays, although I haven't given up on writing plays. If I think it was something good that I want to write, I will. But um, my concentration is really on novels now, more so than more so than plays. So I guess I've evolved again, you know, as a writer. Yeah, well, you know, life is constantly evolving. 
And Joyce, uh, you know, she knew what she was talking about. So that's good. Joyce. Yeah, she got me Joyce. started on writing novels. So, you know, it's all her fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blame her when it's like really hard and you can't think of something You're like, Joyce, why'd you make me do this? <laughs> yeah, she sounds lovely. Um, cool. Well, I wanted to ask you real quick. So when someone produces your play, because you mentioned you've had them produced a bunch of times, how does that work? Do you get you get like a royalty every time? Do they they have to ask your permission? And there's like a royalty payment for them to use your your play, or how does? To... Well, it depends. A lot of times you don't get paid because you get recognition instead. Um, I've had my place produced overseas a number of times, and that's mainly uh, you get recognition for that more so than money. Although I did I did get paid. Uh, several times from uh, UK productions. They're pretty good about paying you. Yeah. Uh, the New Zealand, Australia, and India productions, that, that was mainly uh, little festivals, and little festivals don't pay you. But, you know, I can say that I've had things done in New Zealand, Australia, India, Kingdom of Bahrain. You know, it's nice to have that on your resume. That's amazing. That's really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, as a as a person that works in publishing, they should give you they should give you a hundred bucks at least to use your to, to use your work. <laughs> That's how, yeah. if I were your agent, I don't care how small your festival is, you got a hundred bucks. Everyone pulled together five dollars and we'll go, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I did get, I did get paid a little bit for the festival in Denmark where I won best best script award uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was nice. And then uh, like I said, in the UK. Uh, productions, particularly the ones that are that are licensed there. Uh, one of my plays is published, so uh, the publisher does handle the royalties for me, so I do get paid occasionally for that. Uh, and then uh, if one of my long plays gets done, I do get royalties for it. Sometimes I'll get a royalty for one of my one acts. 10-minute plays almost never pay you because they're just really short. Mm -hmm. And they're usually associated with a festival of so many 10 minute plays. And once in a while, if you win something like best play of the festival or something like that, you probably get some money. But uh, you'd be surprised how little money I've gotten over the years as a playwright. You just don't get paid much. That's interesting. I didn't know how that um, that industry really worked. I have a friend that owns a theater. Um, your intensive dinner theater and they but they put on like well-known plays and i know that he has to come you know he's always they have to worry about the licensing and the rates and you know I published plays i get royalties for i've got mm, four of them published and you know i do get royalties for those i've got a uh a young audiences play that's published i get royalties for it if it gets produced uh and i have three other ones that are published and you know if somebody wants to produce one of those yeah i get paid but you know i have a lot more plays that i just send out to festivals and things and you know yeah. you really don't get paid for those <laughs> well as a creative myself i'm always like writers need to get paid you know that's 10 minutes of thing you didn't have you would have yeah. empty space and I, I made those words happen and you like them enough to want to do them so that's how i would run the world if i were in charge but i'm not in charge of everything sadly so. yeah <laughs> if I ruled the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm in charge of a lot of things, but not that. So um, 
Well, that's, it's all very, thank you for sharing. That's very interesting. It's very interesting to know how that all works. Um, so my fifth question is usually something a little bit off the wall, you know, maybe, eh, maybe related to writing, maybe not. So which three songs would be on your life's playlist? You know, when I was thinking about those and I wrote them down right away and I thought, you know, this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, two of them are songs by the Beatles, uh, The Long and Winding Road and In My Life. And the third one is a song by Carl Wilson uh, and it's called Heaven. If you've never heard that song, look it up because it's a beautiful song. And then I thought, wow, those are very spiritual songs. And I thought, I didn't really think of those as being spiritual songs, but I've always been drawn to ballads. So I suppose, you know, maybe that's just a part of my love of ballads, but, uh, you know, but maybe that says something about me. I don't try to analyze myself, but uh, <laughs> maybe a shrink would have a good time with that. Yeah, those are, well, they're very contemplative, you know, and yeah, that's an interesting, so it just shows, you know, it's just, it's just fun to listen to what people would say about themselves when you ask these weird kind of random questions, because it kind of gives insight into what, you know, the kind of personality, you seem like a very languid kind of low key, you know, not, you're not like type A running around very excitable, it seems. Yeah, the songs would go with your, they go with yeah, your personality. The songs are insightful and they're, they're about love and they're about people. And I, I guess that uh, interests me. So I guess that says something about me. Yeah, well, you're a lovely guy. So that follows, you know, not listening to, you know, Def Leppard and- Yeah, and I write about murders. Motorhead. <laughs> so part of the, the dark side of you is Motorhead. <laughs> the contemplative side of you is Beatles, so. Well, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I've always loved the Beatles. I've, in my room in high school, like everyone else had, you know, whoever they had, Ricky Martin, Britney Spears. I, I had um, the Beatles in my room. Good for you. <laughs> I listened to, and I would sit up in my room and just write out their lyrics and, and other bands too, but mostly the, I love the Beatles a lot. So I would just write giant notebooks full of their lyrics and think about the words and, you know, why they went together and who chose these words, you know, so I just spent a lot of time analyzing the Beatles. And now I have an 11 year old and two years, old, two years ago, we were in Mexico, all of us. And uh, he wanted to do karaoke and he went up and did, he picked um, Come Together because that was his song he chose. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I won parenting. I've <laughs> 50 <laughs> years after they've put the songs out, my kid is singing. Um, but yeah, yeah. so- I listen uh, to the Beatles channel on Sirius Radio all the time. My wife said, don't you get tired of that? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever do you mean, Joyce? Um, <laughs> yes, I, uh, I listen to that channel too. I have Sirius. So I listen to the I listen to the Beatles channel and I like um I like the spectrum because I do like to keep in touch with what's the new music um that's happening and uh so they play a lot of they'll play a Beatles song and then they'll play something that's current you know so I kind of like to keep my hand but I don't I've always liked alternative sort of rock and roll. Yeah, I've got a thumb drive with a lot of my favorite music on it too. Well, actually several thumb drives, so you know I'll just pop one of those in when I want something different. Yeah, yeah, music is great. I've always had music going when I'm not editing because I can't concentrate. So I always think about the music and post the words I'm trying to read. So I have to keep it quiet when I'm, but when I'm doing other things, I have music on all the time, like cooking or cleaning or mm -hmm. just hanging out. So, very so it's cool. playing, just playing in my head, you know, there's a song in there 
you know, I can't get it out of my head today. It's just there. Yeah, I have the new, um, well, I've been listening to the new Adele the whole album. Um, I just put it on and I've been listening to it all the way through because I really just really love her. And it's, mm-hmm. and I was saying to my husband, I haven't listened to like an album. Like I have a ton of vinyl and I have a record, I have a album record player and everything. But, you know, it's very weird to like get a new album and sit and listen to the entire thing like I used to do when I was in college and stuff. I would just sit and listen to the whole thing. And I've done that several times with her newest one that just came out last week. And there's some beautiful songs on there and they're stuck in my head now. <laughs> so walking around oh, yeah. singing Adele songs, you know. But yeah, she makes me happy, even though she's so sad. That's All her awesome. songs are so sad. <laughs> she's always <laughs> crying. Yeah, she's had a lot of heartache, but that gives us a lot of nice art, I guess. So her and her and Taylor Swift have like yeah. broken up with everyone in the world and they're just like write songs about it. Like I would never date them because they just have some song written about how terrible you are. Um <laughs> <laughs> that everyone in the world is gonna listen to how embarrassing would that be so yeah, yeah. She, she's a genius i love her so now are you ready for the rapid fire quiz sure. don't worry you're gonna get all of them all of them wrong so it's fine don't worry about it you don't have to get 100 percent. so number one beach or mountains beach do you have a beach nearby where you can go no no, but uh, when I go down to Florida, I enjoy the beach. And, uh, you know, we don't have mountains. So, you know, I, ha- I don't have a lot of experience with mountains, but, uh, you know, I enjoy the beach. Yeah, for sure. We have, um, we're about three and a half hours from the ocean here, but we have like man-made little places. They try to make it feel like you're at the, it's a, you know, it's a lake, but they try to make it feel like a beach, you know. So sometimes you have those little oasises in when you're inland. And ironically, it's up on top mm-hmm. of the mountain here. It's up on the mountain. So we live in the, I live in the mountains now, but Florida's flat. It's very it's flat as a pancake. Lots of beaches, yeah. but no mountains. Um, cake or pie? Uh, pie, key lime, especially. <gasps> Ooh, there's a Florida theme happening here. You know, key limes are from Key West. <laughs> yeah. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning person, get up at five every morning. And do what? Do you write in the morning? Uh, yeah. Now, first thing we do is take care of the dogs, and uh, we have we have dogs because my wife breeds and shows dogs, and we take care of them in the morning. And then when I'm done, then I eat breakfast, watch CNN or MSNBC, and see what the news is. And then after that, I'm cleaned up, ready to go, ready to write, and I write every morning. I usually don't much in the afternoon unless I'm on a really good jag and uh, just can't stop. That doesn't happen too often, unfortunately. That's that perfectionist day that we always like to have. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the next one's going to be, you know, a given dogs or cats? Actually, both. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a cat. You know, he's my cat. He knows he's my cat. He's a Russian blue named Boris. And, uh, you know, he's my buddy. Oh, I have a statue of an English bulldog in my back on my patio. It's a little statue and it, his name is Boris. We have so much in common. Yeah, my wife shows and breeds Lhasa Apsos. And we've been doing that for about 47 years. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Wow. I had yeah, a Lhasa Apso. That was my very first dog, Lhasa Apso, when I was yeah. really little. Um, we had a white one. And now I have a French bulldog puppy. Oh, they're great. I can't wait to watch the uh, Westminster Ken- every year we watch the kennel the, the oh, yeah. show after the yep. parade 
and um, I can't wait to see the Frenchie because we I've always had English bulldogs. I had I, we I had my last opso when I was really little, very small, and then we got an English bulldog when I was nine, and then we just always had those until I had one that passed away two years ago, and then I said, okay, that's it. I'm tired of I just I just didn't want to go through any more grief. <laughs> the end oh, the end yeah. part is so hard, you know. Yeah. And then uh, my son was asking. We were like, ah, oh. for the first year, I said no. Like I just don't want to go through it again. And then everything was happening with the pandemic, and life was really scary, and I just didn't want to take on anything else. And then, um, but then like a year later, I was like, okay, you know, we can start looking. And then we got we brought him home. So he's only, he's going to be six months old soon. Oh, cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's a handful. He's something. Dino, <laughs> Dino the doggy, Dino the bulldog. He's a handful. A very cute dog. Smart, smarter than uh, smarter than my other dogs. I think yeah. I've had some smart ones in there, but I've also had like the I don't care, you know, the ones that just sleep all day. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah. I was brought up with coffee. Egg coffee. My mom would make it. My grandmother would make it. You know, I, I'm Swedish, and uh, yeah. What's now it? me. I like coffee so strong, my mother and father would never drink it. You know, uh, when, when I ask for something for Christmas, you know, they always say, make a Christmas list. And I said, okay, coffee, dark roast, as close to burned as possible. <laughs> were you like 10 when you were asking for this? <laughs> uh, no, no, I didn't drink coffee when I was a kid. But yeah. uh, I started in college, you know, you need to have something to stay awake. Yeah, college was when I started having coffee too. And I, I love coffee. What's egg coffee? Uh, when you put coffee, well, how my mother made it is she would take so many teaspoons full of coffee, put it in a cup, crack an egg, mix it with the coffee, put it in a pot with water, and then bring it to a boil. Okay. And that's how she made coffee. Wow. That's so funny because <laughs> and what it did is it held the grounds together. I don't I don't know it and it made the coffee really clear. They, they didn't drink r- really strong coffee, but it just made the coffee really clear. You could see the bottom of the cup, you know. Interesting. That's so fun. I, I never heard of that before. Well, I've seen I, one of my favorite movies when I was younger was, um, and I still love it, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that movie. I love that movie because it has all the scenes from the the classic movies. And uh, he yeah. does that in the movie. He puts egg. I thought he was just being silly, but egg, he puts eggs in the coffee. There's one scene where he's making coffee for somebody and he like, first he shakes it for way too long. And that's like the comedy moment where he's just like, there's way too much coffee pouring it in. And it's like, which is like a whole minute of him pouring coffee. And then uh, he puts eggs in there and he breaks them up and he like stirs the eggs in the coffee and makes coffee. But I didn't know that was actually a thing that people did. I thought he was just being like, you know, cause he's insane. He's insanely funny. So that's- Evidently really that's a Scandinavian thing because uh, my grandmother did it and uh, my mom did it, so. Wow, I need to look this up. I've, I, need to, I need to have this phenomenon in my life. Yeah, I'm all about coffee. culinary things. Yeah. Interesting. You taught me something. Wow. See? And then <laughs> I go I go with this little quiz. I'm like, is this silly? Is this like a thing that we shouldn't do? Because it's kind of, you know, like, I'm, I was hoping it wouldn't be repetitive. But every single time I learn something about you guys individually, it's very fun. Very fun. Well, that's thank you for teaching me that. I'm going to go. I'm now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall into a, like a wormhole of studying Scandinavian egg coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to find out more about this.
Cool. Well, so what's going on with you next? I know you're working. Are you working on the third book? Or are you finished the third book? What's happening? Uh, third book is finished. Uh, Harriet has it right now. And uh, it's called Corrupted Souls. And it picks up where Rose's Thorn left off. That's a continuation of Rose's Thorn. Okay, so it's the you had the prequel, then you had Rose's Thorn as the main one, and then this is the sequel, yeah? Yeah. And then I just started on the fourth book. And I'm about 30 pages into it right now. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Nice. Well, that's great. You're always writing and you have Joyce there, you know, when she's mm -hmm. not tending, tending to the dog, she's your, she's urging you on and making you do your writing work. And that's awesome. You guys are a good team. Right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope, uh, I hope to see you one day in, in person. I've um, been hoping we'd all get together eventually one day. Yeah, this COVID thing has kind of creeped me out. And, you know, I don't like to get out into big, big crowds, you know, it, maybe next year yeah i have high hopes for 2022 i had high hopes for this year <laughs> they felt I, know. Bad. I know yeah but that's why i started a started a podcast because I, I miss seeing people i miss talking to people and now this is a you know it's just i did it to be able to connect with people again so and it's been really okay. fun it's been a good time doing it now yeah, i've got um, three vaccinations i should be good to go but you know i'm still wearing a mask and you know just don't trust people. You know, if everybody got vaccinations, it'd be a, be a lot better. But you know, it's, yeah, it's hard for crime writers to trust people. It's I know. really hard for us because we have seen and thought about all the worst things that can happen to anyone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Doesn't set you up well for being in society for as far as, you know, because I'm always, you know, I go out with my friends or we talk about anything and I'm like, well, my friend, uh, she got home the other night and her door was wide open. She goes, I just call up, check my door's wide open. I'm like, well, usually murderous stalkers don't leave the door wide open to let you know that they're hiding in your house. So you probably just left it open when you left. She's like, oh, thank you so much. She started laughing. She's like, yeah, that's probably what's happening. I'm like, well, be careful. You know, you don't want someone to wander in there, but they don't usually like to announce themselves like that. So, you know, it's funny. I, you know, there's a, there's a pub that I frequent and, you know, I usually go at three in the afternoon because there's nobody else in there. <laughs> <laughs> So happy hour starts at three in uh, yeah, for Iowa. Me, and then and I spend, usually, usually have one beer or one glass of wine and then I'm done by 3.30 and there's still hardly anybody else in there. And then I go home and I feel, I feel safe. You know? And also you got out, you got out to see at least one other person that served you a drink and you know, you feel like you're in society. And or, uh, you know, my wife will wife and I went out uh, this morning for breakfast because the uh, the cleaning lady came and uh, you know we want to uh, you know be out of the house when she comes and uh, actually she's still here but uh, she's usually here from eight o'clock until noon well I'm down here in the in the what we call the computer room just a small room off uh, our utility room and I just kind of locked in while she's cleaning upstairs and uh, you know there weren't a lot of people in the cafe and you know the tables are spread out you know we feel okay going in there but you know i just don't like to be in crowds so yeah you know just don't feel comfortable with that yet yeah yeah well crowds are generally sucky anyway <laughs> regardless yeah. of COVID. nobody wants to be in a big crowd if they don't have to be 
you know, I'm just thinking like Black Friday things and mm-hmm. concerts, concerts where you're just like, can't hear you, you can't see or hear, so why are you there? You know, that kind of thing. I like to be right. VIP or home. That's yep. my that's my new status in life. I want to be in the front by my not crowded, pushed up against people where I want to be home. You know, those are the things. So I don't mind being out. I just don't want to be out inconvenience, you know, where it's not fun. <laughs> that's my standard so well thank you so much for uh coming and i hope you have a great rest of the day it was fun fun chatting with you yeah it has been good good well we'll talk to you soon okay have a good day have fun with your dogs and your wife we will